What I find that people are really looking for is to be themselves. It's to find that freedom in their spirit, that knowing of who they are, and then to be able to relate with money that way and to relate with life. If you're not conscious about your investment strategy, you won't end up where you want to be, not financially or as a human. On this show, we interview highly successful investors and share how they overcame limitations to become unstoppable forces of success. If you're ready to learn what it is to be a conscious investor so you can end up where you want, keep listening. Conscious investor, welcome back. I always have the blessing of having the most extraordinary guests. And today, I have to give a huge shout out to my friend, Jamie Gruber. You've already heard him on this show. It was so much fun. Fun episode, interesting information. But you know what? Today, I have a friend of a friend, that type of thing. And that's what we do, right? When we care about people and when we know that there's a connection, we make those introductions. So I met Sarah by way of Jamie. said, hey, Jamie, who else do you know that should come on the show? And he's like, oh my gosh, do you know Sarah? And I'm like, no, I don't. And then he starts telling me all about her book. I'm holding it up. So if you're looking on YouTube, you can see the front cover. It's really pretty. It's called Love Money, Money Loves You. And I had to actually think about that title a few different times because I'm like, you kind of want to omit one of those monies. You kind of want to say like, love money loves you, but it's not. So I'm going to read it again slowly. Love money, money loves you. And just think about that for a moment. But Sarah and I are going to dive into this powerful conversation. I already know you're going to love it, Conscious Investor. And we're going to discuss our relationship with money, money mindset influences and permeates every part of our life. Our relationship with money influences everything that we do, every choice, every feeling, everything, okay? So we're going to dive into our money mindset and then we're going to talk about, well, wait, if we have a healthy money mindset, then how does that relate to strong investing strategies? So this is super cool because I love it. We're putting mindset and investing together, sandwiching them in together, peanut butter and jelly. Sarah, I am so excited to see you virtually, even though you're across the globe from me. So thanks for joining me on The Conscious Investor. Thank you so much, Julie. I'm really happy to be here. It's been fun talking with you off air. I have to say, I had mentioned this to you when we were just chatting that I was sharing this book with one of my best friends. And she ended up purchasing it and we've been going back and forth and she's just been blown away by it because I've never read anything about money the way you've written this book. And I have followed your directions. So I knew that you were not going to be disheartened that I have not finished the book, although I've had the book for quite some time because your instructions and conscious investor take note of this instructions tell you very specifically, it's okay to take your time. It's okay to understand this before moving on to the next thing. And I loved that permission that you offered the reader from the very get-go. So I've been blessed by everything I've read and challenged, inspired, everything under the sun. But where did this book come from? I guess I just have to hand it off to you and say, story time. (laughs) Well, probably like all things that are quite special. It was a very special experience in my life. It actually came out of a very painful experience, which was a business failure. Um, And it was a double painful experience because the business at the time, which I had started with my own money, by that time belonged to my Chinese master, who I'd been training with for 15 years or 13 years, I think, at that stage. 
And Chinese masters, if you haven't come across one, they're very, very strong and they can be very influential in your life. She'd taught me a huge amount over all that time about energy and about health and healing and relationships and business and all kinds of stuff. So to fail in a business is owned by your Chinese master is like, it's almost like the ultimate failure because she was teaching us how to be successful and we just completely blew it apart. So it was ultra painful. I had no money at all. We didn't, me and the other director, we were sharing a flat in London at the time. We didn't even have enough money to pay our rent anymore. It was the worst kind of situation. And it's really interesting that I also had nothing to do because I was used to doing business all day, every day, like you do. And so I was given this little book and it had exercises in it. And one of them said, what would money like to say to you? And so I was journaling and literally my pen started writing for me. And what appeared in front of me was this message from money. It was literally like money was talking to me. And the very first thing it said was, I would like to tell you to love me. And from that moment, it was like, oh, this is different. This is not what I have ever heard before. And the energy that came with the writing, it was such a beautiful, beautiful experience. And it said, I'm energy, I'm very powerful and beautiful, and I'm here to connect you together as human beings and to support your creativity. And it ended just after about two pages of writing by saying, don't wait, just take me. I will love you. Hence the title, Love Money, Money Loves You. And I went on writing every day for a few months and ended up with this collection of pure, completely unadulterated messages from money to me, but really to us. And the book is just those. It doesn't have any editing. It doesn't have any commentary from me, except, you know, a tiny bit at the very beginning about how to use it. It's simply money talking directly to you about what it is and how it really works and how we've misunderstood it and what kind of life it can give us and how we need to be in order to have a good relationship with money. I was blown away as I was reading the first 30, 40 pages of this. I was absolutely blown away. And I honestly had to, as you suggested, pause the reading because it is, as you have already said, this is a very different way of looking at money. And, you know, conscious investors, you know, like my faith is the anchor of my life. A lot of times, and fortunately not in my upbringing, but a lot of times you hear rhetoric in the world. If you're a person of faith, you might even hear this in your church setting where it's like money's the root of all evil. And we end up having this like relationship with money that is so antagonistic. And again, I feel very blessed that I wasn't raised in that philosophy And yet when I was reading this, it really challenged even some of my philosophy. It's like, oh my gosh, but I'm here to help you. Like, wait a second. I want to help you. I want to make your life fun. In this one part, when your problems appear larger than everything else, as you're sitting in a flat, right? You're not able to pay your rent. Of course, you start to feel inferior or bad about yourself. Your self-value goes down out of all proportion, and this too affects the way you view everything. And you go into, you know, money goes into, what do you do? And it's like so encouraging. And I know that a lot of people are going, like, you're going to resonate with that part, conscious investor, where it's like, oh my gosh, things are going south. Everything seems amplified. And yet it's like, wait, don't be mad at me. And so how did that affect, here you are, 
in a really destitute situation in your flat in London, but you're having this magnetic, like magnetic experience writing this book. How did that end up changing things for you? The real change actually started a couple of years later. I stopped training with my Chinese master and my husband and I went to live in Australia and we didn't know anybody in Australia at all. Um, I had a little bit of money, just enough to get the cheapest car and pay a deposit on somewhere to rent, to live and just pay expenses for a few weeks. And I realized I have to be making money and enough money to cover everything. It was after about six weeks, I had two weeks left of cash. And it was actually really interesting. I was a little bit forgotten my book at that time, which might sound strange, but there were various reasons. It's a bit weird to write a book that isn't yours. It's not your words because like, it wasn't my knowledge. It was being delivered to me. So I didn't possess the knowledge, if you see what I mean. I won a prize at a business networking meeting and got this um, a gift. The gift was to have a psychic reading. And while I was having this psychic reading in the local psychic bookshop or the spiritual bookshop or whatever it was, I mentioned my book and she said, that's it, Sarah, that's it. You have to go and teach about your book. And at that point I had no money. I had not really learned how to do it, but it became the key to everything. Cause in that first year or two, it was literally like, sometimes how am I going to pay the rent this week? And the book gave me the instructions. And I used to struggle with it sometimes. It's like, I can't believe this. What if this isn't true? It's so beautiful, but it's so unlike the world that we live in. And I battled with myself and found that it was true. I found that it actually worked. And sometimes it didn't work because I couldn't do it very well. But that's part of life. And so I built gradually, slowly on this new foundation raising my baseline, I would say, raising from having zero money all the time to having a bit there and then a bit more stability and a bit more stability. And then three years ago, we bought a farm. So that was a really big kind of step. And that was really the first investment that we made. And we decided deliberately to buy a farm and not just a house because we knew that it would return so much more to us than a house would. And the other thing that arose is a different way of doing business, which we'll probably talk about in a little while, because once you have this kind of relationship with money where you don't worry about it and you know that it's a good thing in life, it's not the root of all evil. I mean, if you want to put it into a faith-based context, if God is everything, God is also money. It's really simple. If God is love, money is also love. At that level, it's actually the easiest to jump, except that there are so many stories, especially in well, not only in Christianity, also in the Eastern spiritual traditions that make poverty virtuous and money really dangerous, which creates terrible conflict. But once you get over that, I mean, for me, the big challenge was actually to learn how to do business and also to learn how to get over all my old programming because it was still there and it would still come up unconsciously just like it does for anybody else. So I think that that's been quite a big journey for me and I'm definitely still on that, but it has completely changed the way that I view and work around and do business. That's for sure. I love that you're the perpetual student. When we acknowledge that this isn't from me and then I don't even know, even if it is something that we've created, like even then it's like, we should still always be the student. I love also how you're talking about, and we mentioned off air, like wasting over worry. I was mentioning how I tell my daughter that. And it's like, 
so much ways to overworry. But I know that right now, inflation is real. People are struggling around the globe financially and just feeling that constriction. And not everybody has access to your book yet to this amazing piece of work of art, which by the way, Conscious Investor, head down to the show notes and read it. It's just a completely different perspective and it's very refreshing. And I'm excited to finish it, but I want to go through this in a meticulous way. So all that to say is, what was it from the book, that from the download, that really allowed you to shift out of worry and into this other freedom space in relation to money? That's a really interesting question. I think the main thing is actually proving it. You know, when you don't have enough money, it's normal in our culture to worry. And I was already teaching. I'd been teaching people for many years to relax. So I did have that practice and that helped. I think that when you see that when you relax, it gets easier or when you like it teaches in the book, really simple way of asking for what you want and being receptive so that it's easier for it to be delivered. We can talk about manifestation techniques, whatever, however you want to put it. And look, I can't say I can just sit there and say, hey, I want this, I want this, I want this, and it all happens because life isn't like that. But when you start to see that working, I just started to feel more powerful, I guess. And that power enabled me to relax at a deeper level. And now when I have problems, sometimes I have really big problems because as your capacity grows, your capacity to solve problems grows. The problems don't grow smaller, they grow bigger in a way. But I know where to go immediately. So even if it's really difficult, I know that I have the resources in me and the place that I can go in a space where I can relax, where I can access information, where I can find my own wisdom, where I can make decisions that are not the normal decisions, but feel like the right decisions for the situation. And that grows out of habit. If you consciously build the muscle of being conscious, if you take the high road rather than the low road over and over and over and over again, you just get better at it. But I think that that happens, honestly, over years. It's not a three months and you've got it kind of thing. <laughs> you mean there's not a six-week coaching class I can take? In there? But I agree with you. I mean, like you have to learn the principles, but it's applying those principles over a lifetime where I agree. I mean, the best things in life are that which is like curated and refined. And at, to your point where when we have proof of concept and we've kind of seen, oh, this is how it works. Oh, yep, this works. We have that to fall back on. And it makes it far easier to just trust the process for lack of a better word. Like you and I have been saying, like, or I've been saying to you, you know, all things work out. It's amazing. That kind of trusting, the thing that I find so interesting is that it always proves to be really simple in the end. It really is about, in in my world, it's about relaxing and very simple things. But at the same time, it's always something new. So it's not surprising that we can stop trusting. Although the principle is the same, it's fundamental, the application is always new. And we're always going somewhere new as a human being. And so we've never actually experienced it before. So it's not surprising that we feel tension and pressure and things like that. But if you know that principle, this is a new situation to be relaxed is going to be better than worrying and being stressed about it and all the other things that the book shares, then you're just so much better equipped. 
I love that. And I have to say, that's something that I personally live and breathe where it's like, raise that level of awareness. Because if you are ambitious of any kind and conscious investor, I know you are, then we're going to be in new uncharted territory on a regular basis. It's uncomfortable. And like you said, the collateral damage grows. The potential for collateral damage grows as we grow in our levels of success. Like you have employees, you have all sorts of things that can take place. So all that to say, it's really powerful when we just kind of stop and raise that level of awareness and say, oh, this is where that feeling is being generated. I don't need to waste over that. It's going to be okay. And then make decisions. I think the way we make decisions, consciousness is so much about making decisions, making choices. And that when we use that awareness and make better decisions as a result, I think that that is incredibly powerful. Literally just reading about making decisions in Ryan Holiday's book, Courage is Calling This Morning. It was so powerful. So let's talk a little bit, if you don't mind, let's not shift too much, but let's talk about some of the coaching that you do around money mindset. And I'd love to know, what does that look like? And what are some of the challenges that bring people into your coaching ecosystem that draws them in? That's interesting because people will often say to me, I'm not here because of money, but they are. At one level, I typically attract people who are purposeful, they're running businesses, and they're very aligned with their values. And because they have that deep conflict about money, they're often even scared to say it is about money, because making it about money might turn them into a bad person. You know, it runs so deep in us. But I also understand that at a deeper level, it really isn't about money. What I find that people are really looking for is to be themselves. It's to find that freedom in their spirits, that knowing of who they are, and then to be able to relate with money that way and to relate with life. And so we start with money in a way because it's an interesting way in and it's challenging and the book is there. But actually what we're really dealing with, I think, is our relationship with ourselves, with money, with life and with each other. How do we find ourselves in the middle of all of that? How can I just be me? where I don't have to pump myself up. I don't have to be awesome. I don't have to be amazing. I'm just me. I'm free. And I don't have to say, oh, I'm such a bad person, you know, and apologize for myself all the time. But I can give myself permission to be me and to go about my life and do whatever the things are that I feel called to or attracted to. How do we do that? And then how do we create the space so that money can flow through that in a way that enables us to do more of it. And that is often challenging for people like that. I think money and consciousness are not easy bedfellows still, although they're so made for each other. Like they're just like the perfect combination, but challenging in an economy and a culture that doesn't see it that way. Wow. That is so online. Brendan Burchard has a book called The Millionaire Messenger. I love reading, by the way. (laughs) I don't think I mentioned that before we used to hit record. In his book, Millionaire Messenger, he talks about how often people have these purpose. And I talk about that all the time with the conscious investor about purpose and contribution. And oftentimes we associate that with, well, I have to be poor. If I have a purpose and I'm contributing, then I surely can't have anything And his work is very complimentary in this specific regard of, but how do you sustain the message? 
How do you sustain your contribution and your purpose if you don't have revenue coming in? How do you grow it and amplify it and reach more people if you don't have income coming in? Makes it really hard to like actually live that purpose-filled life. Yeah, and it also makes it really hard to be an example because I see this often and I've experienced it myself as well, where you're teaching this amazing stuff, but you're living a life that nobody wants to live. And it's not that I want people to live my life at all. I am so much not about that. I don't really believe in that kind of influencer copy my lifestyle approach. Everybody needs to find their own life and their own not vision. on Instagram, on a yacht and on the beach. <laughs> not necessarily, you know, everyone, each to his own. But I do feel that if you're living a life where people say, oh, my God, I don't want to be like her. I love what she's teaching, but I don't want to be like her. That's not actually a great example. (laughs) People don't want to be poor. They feel they have to be because of this conflict that you mentioned, that if they have money, they're touching the root of all evil. They're going to be corrupted. It's really dangerous for them, and it's going to corrupt their virtue and their purpose. And it's not surprising that they feel that. And it's so unconscious in a way because it's so painful, actually, and so contradictory that I think it's almost like we just can't bear to face it. And so we just elevate purpose and completely deny money or we go the other way and say, well, if I do my purpose, I'm going to have to sacrifice money. And so I've got to feed my family. So I won't say I'm a bad person. I'll just feel guilty and suppress it all. Oh, my gosh. You hit the nail on the head with that. It's almost that damned if I do, damned if I don't situation. Exactly. Wow. You said that precisely. I love that so much. Okay. I'm super curious and I'm putting you on the spot right now, but I feel very comfortable. I feel like we're kindred spirits of it. <laughs> so I'm curious out of the lessons, what is one of those lessons that you feel like is recurring, right? You know how we have to have some remediation with some lessons in life or like, darn it. I know that I learned that spacing gets the distance grows, goes from like every day, five times a day to distance grows. But what is one of the lessons that you've had to relearn a few times or raise your level of awareness? Oh, it's really, really clear to me. And funnily enough, it's the central message of the book. This is so crazy. It's like, oh, I understand why the book was written for me, which is, it's actually about me. It's about giving myself permission to look after and care about me as much as I do other people and to recognize that I'm at the center of my life. No one else is at the center of my life. Even right now, I'm working on that at a new level. I started to realize I was waking up in the middle of the night thinking about some things that were going on, a fairly serious problem. It's like, wow, Sarah, you're making that problem more important than your own sleep, than your own self, than your own well-being. That's not actually okay. Mm-hmm. It's understandable, but is it going to make the business better? Is it going to make you better? It's like it's not going to work. And so it's always that piece of myself, my own well being, the power of taking care of your own energy and your own frequency. We can say it's like what you put out into the world is who you are. And if you sacrifice yourself, and so many of us in business, do it so easily. You know, busyness, we're so busy. And I've developed incredible ways. I talk about working light, which is amazing compared to working hard, but I can still be really busy. And I see it in my husband. I'm beginning to be more aware of the effect it has on other people as well. It's awful to see that actually. 
it's heartbreaking in a way. Every now and then, you know, you get a glimpse into what you're doing to yourself and what you're doing. And look, I don't do it like I used to, and I don't do it like a lot of people do it, but I do it and I constantly need to come back to that core message. My book, if you would sum it up, you'd say relax, enjoy, love. And that includes you. All of this resonates is so deeply like this is again going back to perfect timing right <laughs> i mean i've been talking about in conscious investor i know this is landing with you as well like high performers we burn out in a different way and i've been thinking about it and everyone just forgive this analogy for a moment but i think of it like a prostate or ovarian cancer undetectable until it's absolutely lethal and so high performers like we fill with our lives with this busyness and this productivity, and we sacrifice ourselves, our health, our mindset, and potentially the greatest wealth that we could have, which we'll talk about here in just a moment, right? And we lay all of that on this sacrificial block in life for what? And we find ourselves burnt out, but we don't call it burnt out. But I heard it put this way recently where it's like, when's the last time you had lunch with a friend? When's the last time you did something you wanted to do? Like, Oh, yeah, yeah. Make sure I'm taking time. I got to nurture this person here. I spend an entire lifetime in this body with this person. (laughs) Yep, yep. And it's so easy to justify and say, oh, yeah, but I'm doing the business that I want to do. And that's true. You are doing what you want to do. And you have made a whole lot of choices. But how do you do that? And do you do it in a way that is really punishing. I think a lot of people are punishing themselves in business. They're almost torturing themselves and trying to prove something. Or are you doing it with kindness and generosity towards yourself and love even? You can do so many things and do them differently. But I think that we justify to ourselves the way we're doing it even I have burnt out. I burnt out the first time when I was 28. So I know what it's like. And I won't do that now. Like I did learn and I will not let that happen to me again. But I see the path. I see the wiring. I can go in that direction. I just pull up quicker than I used to. This is where consciousness comes in is we really like constantly need to re-engage our consciousness and say, hold on a moment, I'm making a different decision. Then it's like for me constantly I'm weighing up. Okay, so I won't do the going to bed late thing. And that means then I can't get everything done today. So I'm literally weighing up what's more important, me or getting everything done. But it's got to be done, but I'm important. It isn't easy. I don't think it's easy. Um, And we have to be able to make much, much better decisions, much, much wiser decisions than the ones that look like they're right in front of us. I think it takes a huge amount of skill to develop that capacity. And self-honesty right? Like you have to be really honest with yourself to be able to say, wow, I'm overbooked. Recently, I've had to have this. Well, I was telling this entrepreneur group that I'm a part of in my little community. It's a small band of women that just get together once a month. And I was telling them like, "Mm, every quarter, it seems it kind of seems like a quarterly thing. I just have to slough off. I have to like, look at the schedule, look at what's going on and say like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, what were you thinking? And literally just kind of graciously like slough it all off and get it back down. But again, like to your point, it's taken a long period of time to get to that level. And that's a small level of awareness. Like, you know, it'll shrink. I'll get it more under control. But like you said, it can all be good and it can all be fun. But 
do you have the balance in life? Do you have the harmony or are you running ragged? And yeah, and pretending. I think the key is to make the bigger jumps. Every now and then you can make a bigger jump where like for me, a lot of the issue has been around if I make more money, I'll have to work even harder. And I know perfectly well that that's an illusion. It doesn't actually work like that, but it just can easily run in the background. And I can see that all kinds of breaks get put on because of that. So the big one is the times when I've just literally changed level and I'm actually doing way more with way less work, whether that's because more people are doing it or because I'm doing it a different way. I think there are different steps and I don't always know what it is until I get there. But those step changes are really important because incremental changes sometimes are just not enough for this kind of stuff. That's so insightful. Okay, we have to switch, but I have one last question before we switch because I want to talk about this other element of investing, right? Because it's so fascinating. I have questions for you about it. But I'd love to ask, and maybe I'm going to forget my question. I was wondering if you knew where the root of that thought was, the thought meaning because you're aware of it. So you've raised your level of consciousness to it. So you're aware of it. But I'm wondering if you've ever traced it back down to like where it originates. If I make more money, I have to work harder. I think for me, the main thing that I can see about that when I was at school, I didn't realize this at the time, I came top in everything. And I never revised for exams. And I would sit down and write. And I think it was just like I wrote my book, actually, I was kind of just downloading the answers. And that worked really well. And I did incredibly well. But I came out of school feeling like I'd been really lazy. And so I think there's a piece in me that working hard equates for me with not being lazy and doing things thoroughly and therefore doing them well. And I have this fear all the time that if I don't do it well, then I'll go back to that lazy or there'll be a disconnection in there somewhere or it won't be beautiful, something like that. And so it's actually my commitment or my thing is I've got to do this really well because I tend to be very spontaneous and not that kind of thorough type at all. And that's probably my gift, really. But there's this thing, it's like I'm trying to compensate for this perception that I was lazy. And then I think, well, if I'm going to keep on doing things well, it always takes me to really settle down and concentrate and make sure I tie up all the loose ends and don't be too spontaneous and make sure the spontaneity is in the right place, not the wrong place. And so if I'm going to be more successful, I'm going to still want to do it well. So I think it's much more about that than it is about the money, funnily enough. That is absolutely fascinating. I have so many more questions about that where I'm like, oh, we could go down the rabbit hole, but that would be getting more personal conscious investor. I do have healthy boundaries for guests. Sarah, we have to have another conversation, just you and I. Okay. (laughs) It's so interesting because I've had to trace down some of the origination of some of the thoughts that I have because I'm like, why? Where is that even coming from? And, And I always picture it as like fabric that's woven together and If you can just find that, like you get a snag and if you just find it and pull it out, you can smooth everything out. Sometimes I just want to find that one thought that's holding me back. It's usually based in fear. I just want to pull it out and just be done with it. Um, But sometimes that's what keeps us sharp in life is that it is still there and we're aware of it. And it's like... We definitely need those moments. We definitely need those things to come up. For me, that's always where my best development comes from is the really difficult times and the challenges and the things that make me afraid where I have to work, really actually have to work to not be afraid. 
but I often do some of my best work at that time as well, which is not a recipe. Like I don't want that to be the recipe for my success. Also, <laughs> that it is something I've noticed, but I am really clear now that I don't want to build on so much intensity. I think I've had a lot of intensity, and it's time now for a, like an easier passage. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at at the moment. That's it's fascinating because I've been stepping into a period myself of gentleness, and it's mm-hmm. very interesting because I'm a very high adrenaline, extreme sports. And my husband and I just adopted this new Gary Braca 30-30-30. And we're like 30 grams of protein within 30 minutes of waking up and exercise for 30 minutes at a heart rate of 130, which is way low compared to my normal workouts. All this to say, we've been talking about how much fun it's been. It's just been fun. And it feels easy and gentle on our middle-aged bodies. And yet it's extremely productive. We're like, this is weird. This is really counterintuitive. All of that, just like stepping into gentleness is such a gift. Yep. Totally. Oh my gosh. Okay. Before we run out of time, I would love to dive into love to uh, the bright green. Wait, love to be bright green. Thank you. I'm like, I wrote it down intentionally and now I can't read my own writing apparently. So, but this is the investment parts. You tackle the money mindset and really the internal personal growth and development formation. And then we have the investing component that you can officially talk about now. So tell me all about it because you know, I know nothing about this and I'm going to ask tons of questions. Well, I'll go back a little bit. Almost seven years ago, I met somebody who was talking about the environment and he was talking about climate change and the amount of money there is in the world, which is a huge amount, like trillions and trillions of dollars that are supposed to be invested in the environment and they weren't being invested. And the reason was because typical environmental projects are too small, they're not scalable, they don't provide returns, they're far too risky because there's things like drought and flooding and stuff, (laughs) which is quite common in farming. And so it makes it very difficult to invest in. And we met and he was talking about that. And obviously having written the book and thought a lot about money, I just got very interested. And with all my experience about energy and healing and health and things like that, I was also really interested in the climate part because I know that if you focus on the problem, as you will know, it actually gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So being scared of this hairy thing that everyone's talking about called climate, whatever you believe about it, being scared about it is just going to make it worse in any way. So we sort of brought our combined approaches together. And over a long time, we reinvented the way that we value nature. Currently, nature is generally valued when it's dead. You cut down a tree and it has value. But when it's living, now we can grow carbon. So it's changing a little bit. But fundamentally, when it's living, it doesn't have any value. And so we have an economy that is, people talk about the death-based economy. In fact, it makes most of its money through things like war and, you know, military. It makes money out of life insurance. Like when you die, it makes money out of a sickness-based health system, not a health-based health system. The more you look at it, the more you see that the big influences on our economy are all associated with death and dying and being sick. And that just doesn't seem right to me because we all want an economy and a world that's thriving. It's just really simple. We all want that. We all want to thrive. We want our children, grandchildren to thrive. And so how do we do that? 
at a business level and at an economic level and at an investment level. And so we figured out a way that my business partner, especially he's the scientific person, figured out a way to value living ecosystems. So to evaluate improvement in an ecosystem that it's actually getting healthier rather than getting more degraded and then to put a financial value on it and then to turn that into a product uh, which has a value and that product that is called a bright green which is a token but it's a token that is backed by regeneration of the ecology that has been done already so it's not a promise like oh we promise we'll go and plant a thousand trees it's we have done this for the last 20 years been regenerating nature Love to be bright green has then valued that, evaluated it and valued it and tokenized that. So you're actually able to buy like this grown ecology as a token, which is an amazing thing. And the token is called a bright green for very obvious reasons. And then the more sophisticated end, which isn't quite in place yet, but will be soon, is that you can also turn tokens into shares. We call them living shares which is shares in the company. And it's a mutual company. So it's about having a common purpose and our direct investors and our farmers are the members of the mutual. So they're the owners of the business. It's a little bit different from a normal privately owned company for very good reasons. It's very consciously put together. So we now have a system whereby people can literally buy ecology it's like you can own a piece of it. It's rather like owning a piece of art that's in a museum. Like if it's a fantastic art, you might put it in a gallery somewhere. You don't always have it in your house, but you've contributed. You've made art possible by contributing at an economic level. And if lots and lots of us make ecological improvement possible by contributing to it, we all get the return on that investment. Everybody shares in that because it contributes to the commons. It's the air we breathe. It's the water we drink. It's the soil that we grow our food. And it's the environment that our children grow up in. So it's literally everything that we most value and that contributes to thriving. That's what we should be investing in. And it needed to be investable. So our job was to make it investable. This is amazing. And I really like the contrast between that concept of the death economy, basically, right? And then having a living economy. I mean, it's a great contrast. And honestly, I'd never considered that at all. But as you're talking about it, it's like, when we think about the proteins that many of the animal proteins that we eat and things like that, it's like, okay, well, that is another death, like, it's rampant. It's almost like one of those things that I feel like now that I've seen it, I won't be able to unsee it. Yeah. And look, it's really important to realize that death is a part of life. Oh, yes. So because if we eat vegetables, we're also eating the seeds, we're eating the babies of the vegetables. If you eat your broccoli head, you're eating the flour, which is going to produce the seed, which is going to produce more little baby broccolis. So we can't be romantic about this. It's fine to eat. And all of nature eats itself all the time. But to invest only in the dying part and not to invest in the thriving part where death is just a part of that thriving That, to me, is where we've made this huge mistake. And to invest in scarcity. So we have an economy that's based on debt and scarcity and has everybody basically in debt fundamentally to the central banking system rather than an economy that's based on investing in well-being where everyone benefits and the whole society benefits. And the return doesn't need to come from debt because it can actually come from a true financial return because you've invested in the well-being of the people and the communities and the entire economy. And it's so obvious to me, really, when I say it that simply, it's like, well, of course, 
And I think that this is something where everyone would say, okay, well, that sounds utopian, but you're able to achieve it. But you're like, here's proof of concept that we can achieve this. That's right. And we've done the first stage. We've sold our first bright greens. We've sold options over shares last year. And we're moving into the stage where we'll be able to sell shares. It's for real. And then it's about people getting it. It's just normal business. You know, we have to market and sell, do the things you have to do in business and make it accessible for people. So we did rethink it. It's never perfect. It's always going to grow and develop. But we did manage to do that. If you're into financial modeling, which is not really my thing, but when you start to look at the financial model, when a model is built on thriving rather than scarcity, if you can see the energy inside it, it is absolutely amazing. Like there's something that happens after a little while, and most people never see this, but this beauty comes out and this natural principles of abundance, which are also not like everything I touch turns to gold, kind of, you know, these crazy fantasies we have as human beings. It's based on nature and life and the patterns, but the beauty that comes out of it, like being in incredible mountain scenery where there's like hard rocks and cold snow and all that stuff is just exquisitely beautiful. That's what exists inside the energy of money. When we really respect it and honor it and look at how to use it wisely. Gosh. I want to talk on, we knew this, we knew we would want to talk for five hours before we started. And this conversation is so powerful and conscious investor. I hope that this just challenges some of the way you're thinking about things from thinking about your relationship with money and how it's coming out in all parts of your life to your investing and that concept, Sarah, of saying, are we investing in scarcity or abundance? And it does have a different energy and vibrance. I know some of the investing that my company participates in, I can see that as well. As we develop assisted living communities, it's like, oh, it's beautiful. And it just flourishes. Uh, The contribution is so huge for everybody involved. Unfortunately, you and I both have hard stops here in just a moment. And I would be remiss if I didn't say, Sarah, how the conscious investor is curious, conscious investor, we're going to have a link to the book in the show notes and everything. But if they want to connect up in look into your coaching program, or they want to look into love to be bright green and where that's going and how that works, where can we send them? I think the simplest thing to do is either send them to sarahmccrum.com, which is just my name, sarahmccrum.com. If you're interested in bright greens, you can learn more about it. And we actually have a white paper you can download on brightgreens.io, brightgreens.io. I love it. And can they purchase tokens at this time? Okay. Conscious investor, you have opportunities of abundance ahead of you. And I hope that you take time to just look into these different resources. Sarah, this has been, it's a beautiful afternoon where I live right now. And this is just such a beautiful way for me to end things by day before going to pick up my kids. Thank you so much for your time and your willingness to let me ask some different questions maybe and just serve the conscious investor. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to answer questions like that. This is important stuff. It really is. And Conscious Investor, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for taking time to listen. And remember, if this served you well, please go to the bottom, scroll to the bottom and leave a rating and review. Let us know what you took away, what encouraged you, inspired you, challenged you. Write a review and let us know. That way Sarah can see it. I can see it. The world can see it. It starts a cool conversation. 
Until next time, live big, love bigger, and do great things. Are you enjoying this episode? Help spread the word by sharing the episode with a friend or family member. Because really, where would any of our lives be without other people sharing great content with us? Help spread the word by sharing on your social platforms and with those you care about. And remember, tag me at Happy Julie Holly. 